couple of things I want to share. And then I want to pray that God would just give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding as we look at the text this morning. There are a couple of things, uh, first of all. The first is this. We have been wrestling with uh, some sound issues in the last couple of weeks, maybe even longer than that, actually, as we've wanted to bring in new worship teams that have helped along the way. And one of the things we discovered here a long time ago was that the acoustics in this room are really difficult. We had a time with, a problem with hot spots in this building with the drum set, and we have this enclosure in it because there were hot spots where the sound would bounce and it'd just be really particularly intense. And although some of the sound is less intense in the front, that sounds so counterintuitive uh, to just simply invite people. If it's too loud in the back, come to the front. And uh, that just doesn't, hasn't, hasn't worked as well as we hoped it would. So we, with new bands and, uh, and amps and uh, things like that, we're just working really hard uh, to make the sound even in here and reduced for those people who are saying it is just too loud. And we're sorry about that. The last thing I want to do is chase people out of the room and we're actually trying to worship together. So if you'd be patient with us and pray for our team, Daniel's working really hard and Sandy's working really hard on some solutions that will help with that. And uh, we would just encourage you and help you. Uh, and, and ask you to pray for us as we figure out how can we balance the room and how can we make the sound so that it actually invites us all into worship better than that. So second thing I wanted to mention to you is when you came in the building this morning, did you see just how spectacularly beautiful the facility looked? I came in from the back and I saw the children's play area there and that team that spread that mulch out, just fantastic. Uh, Roger told me that there were 40 to 50 people. Well, we were camping in the snow. There were 40 or 50 people around this building that were doing all kinds of things, cleaning out closets, you know, f- uh, uh, creating a great place for, the, uh, uh, for people to come in, a hospitable place to be. Apparently, some of the peep team that actually have used the Birch House for Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon groups, they came and they joined the team and made the space better. And you walk onto this campus and it's like, this is such an inviting place to be able to be and to use it that way. So I just want to say thanks to the team of people that jumped in yesterday and helped with things and that continually do that um, you know, off and on along the way too. So it's fun to be a part of a church family with um, such a passion for us uh, having this place be a welcoming place. So yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, that really is a, it's, I, I am so encouraged to see it. Anyway, let's pray and let's move on. God, thank you so much that we get to be a family together and that we get to wrestle with issues and learn and grow and develop and, and that we actually see in your word that God's people always wrestle with issues and there are problems and challenges that come along the way and yet you invite us in our freedom in Christ Jesus to speak freely and openly with one another. And Lord, I pray that you help us to know how to apply this this morning as we spend this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I have one apology to make this morning, and that is for the YouTube song you're about to hear. Uh, But any song, not any song, this song has had over a quarter of a million hits on YouTube. And uh, the problem with it is that once you hear it, it's going to be in your head all week long. But maybe you'll remember what we've talked about, right? Let's just see the beginning of this song that's had a quarter of a million hits on YouTube. Go ahead and play it. Everything is awesome. 
money, right? I promise you it's just going to be in your head now. Everything is awesome. You're just all week long, you're going to think about it. There's, a, there's obviously a lot of irony in the Lego movie, and that's what's made it kind of a cult hit for a lot of people. Kids love it, but there's just so much humor in it, and there's just this driving song, Everything is Awesome, and it's tongue-in-cheek because everything's not awesome. Uh, Emmett lives in a world where everything is glued down, or it tried to be glued down and made the same, and there are these prescribed rules that you abide by when you get up in the morning, you read them, and you make sure you take your shower, and you make sure you put your clothes on, you make sure you open up your doors, and you say to everybody in Legoland, or wherever it was, I don't even know the name of the city, but you smile and say, these are the rules, smile and say, good morning city, and everybody's waving and saying happy things to each other. And as they're going to work, they say happy things to each other. They're prescribed happy things to say, and everybody is just so nice. And nothing ever changes. Everything is scripted. People are nice. They follow the rules, and everything stays the same until the possibility that things could be better, things should be different, enters Emmett's mind. And in a culture where the rules are, don't step out of line, everything is awesome, if there are problems, we will pretend that there aren't any problems. In a culture like that, nothing ever changes in a positive way. There are problems. And we, when we get to the book of Galatians, Paul is open and free with it. This is not an everything is awesome letter. This is a, you know what, we're not getting along with each other here, are we? And in the book of Galatians, it comes out, and you go back to the book of Acts, and you see the same thing happening. The early church, as it grew and developed and consequently flourished, it flourished in the midst of facing one problem after another, face-to-face, head-on, and the result of the reason why the church of Christ was able to grow and develop was because they spoke freely with one another. That's actually one of the invitations of us being a part of the Christian family, family of brothers and sisters in Christ. This invitation to speak freely with one another. You see, there are two options. One is be nice and say nothing. You know, there's this, when I was growing up, it was called Minnesota nice. Uh, Or speak freely. And when one speaks freely, the church advances and people were added to the community of followers of Christ. So there are a number of ways we could have titled this sermon. I'm thinking just kind of, uh, you know, conflict can be constructive. You like that double C sort of thing. Battles can have benefits. There it goes again, right? Fights can be fruitful. Come up with your own. Let me know afterwards. But that's basically the theme. In Galatians, here we see that they chose not to keep their mouths shut and not make waves. They actually entered into the challenges of not seeing everything the same. And the result was that the church of Christ grew. There are four elements or four components of this invitation to speak freely that we see in this text. And the first is this. People spoke freely because they had passion and they embraced the passion that they had. God's given you passion. He's made you with certain uh, opinions and perspectives and stories and, and passions within you. And God gave those to you 
don't in an effort to be nice, ignore the passion that God has given you. You see here, Paul was speaking with incredible passion right here. And you get the sense that Peter had the same passions as well, or had passions as well along the way. Speak out in regards to those passions. There's a sense, even in, our, even in the United States, of you don't, you don't want to let anybody know that you really believe something strongly. I had an opportunity to talk with our youngest daughter who just came back from India and a couple of other friends who just came back from their study abroad uh, over Christmas break. And I said, well, you know, what was it like? And one of the guys who had been in Spain said, you know, we got there and all of these Americans uh, were being, being asked, what do you guys believe about God? And uh, their tendency will say, well, you know, you just don't know. There could, you know, people believe this and people believe that. But, well, what do you know? And, and this young man said, you know, some of the people in the group said, well, you know, I, I, just, I just don't want to have a strong opinion about it. And these people from Spain said, what? You don't have a strong opinion? Doesn't it matter to you? And this young man was saying, it's so interesting that around the world there are people that have strong opinions about things. And there's nothing wrong with expressing them. To speak freely, they wanted these Americans to believe in something and to believe it passionately. The process of getting to a place that's beneficial is the invitation to speak freely about the things that we're passionate about. There are people in the world that don't know the power of the grace of Jesus Christ. The invitation is to speak freely about it. There are times in the Christian church where things go sideways and we're not representing the gospel the way we ought to. The invitation is to speak freely and passionately about it. The invitation here isn't to engage in recreational conflict, and I think we have a tendency towards that. You know, you turn on this, this controversial media uh, outlet and it's just like we do recreational conflict with each other and stir up all of these emotions that aren't ours, but by the time we're done listening to the person, we feel emotion about it as well. Not that emotion. Don't get passionate about what someone else is passionate about, but what God-given passion has God given you to speak freely about? Don't be afraid of being a person of passion. God has given it to you. Give yourself the freedom to speak freely about it. That's what we read in Scripture. We read it here in Galatians. We read it in Acts chapter 15 in other places as well. There are problems. And there are people that are passionate about different sides of it. Let's have the freedom to be able to speak directly about it. God-given passion should lead to God-guided actions. Don't squelch it. Don't sing another verse of everything is awesome. Don't try to just be nice and pretend you don't have a passion inside of your soul. Speak freely about the passion. There are three other elements of it that we see modeled among God's people in, early, in the early church. But we can't go any further if we don't give ourselves this invitation to speak with passion about the things that God has made us passionate about. 
The second aspect of this is the issue of perspective. To have the right perspective in regards to a problem that we're faced with. It is so easy for us to see the problem and to see people, and we ascribe to people certain places on the other side of the table from us. Here's the problem, and you're on that side of the line, and I'm on this side of the line, and we we draw lines and we draw swords. And, And the people become the enemy rather than the problem. The people become the enemy, the people become the problem rather than the problem becoming the problem. And a remarkable thing happened here in this problem that the early church was facing. Peter, Paul had with him two people that he mentions in, in chapter 2, verse 1. He had Titus with him. And Titus actually was part of the problem because Titus had come to faith in Christ and he hadn't been circumcised. There are a whole bunch of early Christians with a Jewish perspective that said that when you follow Jesus, when you follow God, part of that surrender is you must be circumcised. And the problem here is that Titus was a follower of Jesus Christ and he hadn't been circumcised. So, so the early church looked at Paul and what he was doing with these people and what he was conceding, they thought. And Paul and, and Titus were on the other side, the ones who they were opposed to. But this is what happened. Not only with Paul was Titus, but but Barnabas was a part of Paul's entourage as well too. And this is why things worked out. Because Barnabas comes along and everybody knows that Barnabas is on their side. Barnabas is the guy that doesn't see the problems, he sees the people. And he sees Paul when he first comes to faith in Christ. And he's one of the first people that goes to Paul and embraces him and welcomes him in with all of the other apostles and all of the other leaders in the church and say, you know what, he's a part of us as well. Barnabas' name wasn't Barnabas really. When Barnabas, in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas actually, his name was Joseph. But the apostles gave him a nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. How did he encourage? Because he didn't see problems as much as he saw people that mattered. And he was the one who was sent to go to Antioch and find out what's going on up there. And he had this openness to the way God would work, even through somebody like Paul. And he was the mediator. He was the one who saw hope. He was the one who saw that there's this problem over here, but here we are. And you know what? We're pretty much the same. That's a perspective God wants us to have. We see problems, but we don't put people, we don't attach people to the problem and make them the enemy. And Barnabas walks in and says, hey, you guys, we're all pretty much wanting the same thing, aren't we? And it was the compelling voice because Barnabas had the perspective that was necessary. It is so easy for us to put adversary in the midst of problems, adversarial relationships in the midst of problems. I remember a young woman who came into my office a few years ago, and she said to me, she said, Mark, I am really interested in Christianity. In fact, I've met somebody from your church and worked with them, and there's something about that person that is so compelling to me. They know something about Jesus and religion that I don't understand, and I'm interested, but I have one question. And here's the question. What does God think of divorce? 
you know how easy it would be to say, well, you know, she's because I'm divorced. That's where I am, and what does God think of it? You see, immediately she's drawing lines that she thinks she might be on the upper side of. There's God over here, and I'm over here. Is this going to be a problem between us? And I said to her, you know what? My guess is is that God thinks just about the same thing about divorce as you do. It stinks, doesn't it? And she said, yeah. It stinks. It's caused so much pain for me. And I said, you know what? God feels the same way about it. And you see what happens? She and God find themselves looking at a problem and the repercussions of it with a sense that they're on the same side. So what do we do next? God wants us to be passionate, but not a passion in a way in which we put somebody over there and us over here and we draw swords and fight about it. To have a sense of perspective of, you know what, there is this problem. Let's be on the same side in addressing it. Rather than the you and me, it's the us and it. Rather than the you and me, it's the us and the it. Then the third aspect of it that we see here is presence. There's passion, there's perspective, and there's presence. And Paul mentions this in the very next verse after the section that we read. He said, you know what, I went to Cephas, Peter, his other name, and I, and I addressed him face to face. You know, he had other options. He said, you know what, we Facebook messaged each other. No, he didn't have that option, I guess. But you know, it's so easy, isn't it? We emailed each other. Uh, and and, uh, and we, just, we just declared our different perspectives. No, no, he says, I went to Peter and we spoke face to face. The beauty of speaking face to face with someone is you realize you're speaking to a person. And Paul sees not an enemy, but a person who is passionate about Jesus and about following him, who's wrong in this case, Peter's wrong in this case, but they realize that when you're personally connected with each other, the problem is distinct from the person. And that's why God pulls us into relationship with one another. Don't talk about a person and connect the problem to that. Go to the person face to face and talk about it together. It's an incredibly powerful way to move things in a direction where positive things can take place. You know, as a church staff team, we actually have a behavioral covenant with each other. And it is this, that we will talk face to face with one another. Some of you in the context of your small groups have seen that behavioral covenant. And it's just a great way for us to address problems and to move forward in a way that has the potential for good things to take place. Speak freely. Go ahead. Let's be passionate, and let's speak freely, and let's do it with each other. This is not just simply a good idea for us as a family of faith, but it's good for us with other people as well, too. I remember time when my girls, our girls, Beth and I had our kids come home from at the pool, 
And in our subdivision, there's a pool, and they had lifeguards there. And it was getting expensive, and so the subdivision decided that they were going to go as cheap as they could. And they found out about this organization that would bring in lifeguards from another part of the world. And uh, these three young men came to be lifeguards from Istanbul because they hoped to learn English. It was a horrible situation for them. But my initial reaction when my kids came home from the pool and there were three young men from Istanbul who were hanging out with my daughters, well, you know what my reaction was. And uh, they said, we want to have them over. They have to work till 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. They don't get a chance to talk to anybody in English. And uh, they're just as lonely as can be. And I said, yeah, they're lonely. You bet they're lonely. <laughs> and, 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 and they say, we want to have them over for dinner. And so we say, oh, well, okay. And we had three young men over from Istanbul, Turkey. And we fell in love with them. We just did. We heard their story in summer long. We had these opportunities to engage in their life and hear their story and find out that they were actually really just people. Do you see? We sent an email message. It's not going to work. We put, up, we put a bumper sticker on our car. It's not going to work. What do we do? We engage in people's lives. Even when we disagree or see the world differently from one another, we discover there's so much that we have in common, and we get to have a dialogue that can be rich and constructive and beneficial. Live with passion. Gain the perspective that there's a difference between the people and the thing. And do it life on life with one another. That's what we see God's people doing in the early book of Acts. And then the fourth piece of this is that we live with, a, we, we address the things that matter. The fourth P here is, is purpose. Uh, what, what is the purpose of our engagement over a problem together? There's so many small things that we can be drawn to fight about. And we see God's people fighting about one thing. It's the gospel. And Paul even dresses it here. You know, this fight isn't about what they know, the difference in what I know. It's not about their opinion and my opinion. It's about the gospel. We see it in verse 5. We see it in verse 7. We see it in verse 14 of chapter 2. You go back to chapter 1, verse 11, and Paul talks right away. You know the thing we're having to dispute about? It's the gospel. That's the thing that we're going to be most passionate about is what the gospel is about. We don't catch them arguing over turf. We don't catch the early leaders of God's church arguing over personal hurts or opinions. We don't catch them arguing over their individual rightful status. We catch them debating and wrestling with the gospel. Maturity is determined by the matters in dispute. Maturity can be determined by the matters in dispute. What will we fight about is an indicator of how mature we are in Christ. We're going to argue about, contend for, wrestle with others in regards 
to this and only this, the gospel. With people that are part of our faith community, that's what we're gonna wrestle with, issues that surround the gospel. With people outside of the faith community, we're not gonna get into debates about all of that other stuff. You know what we're gonna contend for? We're gonna contend for this, that they know that God is good and beautiful. And we will fight for that. We will say that with strength and passion. God is good and he is beautiful. And he makes a world that is filled with people that are, that are his children. And he longs to have them back. They have dignity and worth. Remember the poor, it says in there. Oh, we will, because they're a part of God's creation as well as all of the rest of us. And God wants goodness and beauty for the poor as well. We're gonna fight for that thing because that's the gospel. God is good and he is beautiful. Second aspect of the gospel is God tells us the truth about our brokenness. And and we're gonna contend for that too. We're all broken. And if anybody thinks that they've got it all together, we're gonna let them know that only God is the one who's got the whole thing buttoned down. We're gonna fight for that. That people would know that um, that there's brokenness that is in this world. And because there's brokenness in the world, we're gonna speak uh, to one another with humility. I've got the same need for the Savior as you have. And let's be clear about that. Paul was, if you're gonna add to the gospel, he says we're gonna have an argument about it because it will always be about broken people needing the grace of Christ. It will always be about broken people needing the grace of Jesus. God is good and beautiful. God tells us the truth about our brokenness. God rescues us and restores our relationship with him and others. We'll speak about that next week when we get to chapter verse, verse 20 in, in Easter. And God invites us on a mission together. Those are the things that are worthy f- to, to fight for, to contend for. Those are the pieces of it. So what do we see? We see the church growing forward into this incredible body of Christ because they're people of passion and they have a perspective about that's different, that there's a difference between people and, and the problem and, and that they do it personally with one another and with others and that it's always, always brought back to the only thing that matters, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will contend for the gospel. Beth is in the midst of a research project from one of her classes in her PhD program, and she was having an interview with a young woman in a university who, in the middle of her sophomore year, had just been living the life. She was just living the life, and she was describing this to Beth just last week during this interview. And she said, you know, I was doing it the way you would expect a young college student to do it, you know, there's all kinds of drugs available. There's all kinds of relationships available. There's all kinds of stuff. Just, and I noticed this group of people who were doing a Bible study. And I was just kind of intrigued by it, particularly because somebody in my dorm floor uh, was going to that study, and I thought she was a pretty cool person. And so I started going to this Bible study. It was interesting, some of the things I was learning about God along the way. And I had a crisis that came up in my life, a really, really messy thing that devastated my life. 
And I sat down with the leader of this Bible study, the small group, who a couple months before had asked me if I wanted to help lead the Bible study. Isn't that interesting? Just come on and let's just, let's just do this thing together. And she said, I had been invited in and we were friends and I wasn't following Jesus, but I was interested in Jesus and she invited me to be part of, part of the group. And she says, I came home from break and I was absolutely broken. And my friend came alongside of me, listened and talked to me, and then she said this. Are you sure you don't want to give your life to Jesus? She spoke that freely. Are you sure you don't want to give your life to Jesus? And so I said, no, 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 no. And we went on and we talked and we talked and talked. She says, and we came to the end of that conversation and my friend said to me one more time, are you sure you don't want to give your life to Jesus? And she said, I said, yes, I do. I said, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what it means, but I'll get there. And, and this person cares for me. The freedom to speak into a person's life and ask the question, there's something about your life that God is as passionate about as I am. Are you sure you don't want to make things different. And for the last 14 months, she has emerged into this vivacious follower of Jesus who sees the concerns of marginalized people in the university and wants to know what it means for her to be engaged in their life. Her whole life has been turned upside down because there was a Christian who was passionate about the gospel who spoke freely. That's the invitation God gives to all of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this invitation to be people that speak up. God, I pray that you would guide our passions in such a way that they would be focused on the gospel, Lord. That we would be passionate about the gospel in a way that would allow us to speak freely to others in a way in which they don't read themselves as the problem, but people just like us, Lord. Cause us to grow together in that way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.